Welcome to the 146th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. On a wintry Saturday in January 2014, over 225 people gathered in the southeast Minnesota community of Winona for the Land Stewardship Project's Citizens Frack Sand Summit. This day-long event provided an opportunity for citizens to address one of the region's most pressing environmental issues, the mining of silica sand for use in hydraulic fracturing of oil and gas reserves. It turns out southeast Minnesota and western Wisconsin have vast amounts of just the kind of silica sand the industry is looking for. During the past few years, western Wisconsin in particular has experienced a kind of gold rush as massive corporations work to strip mine as much sand as possible and ship it to oil and gas drilling operations in places like Pennsylvania, Texas, and North Dakota. The result has been decimated landscapes. Entire hilltops have been removed, ruining farmland and eliminating the natural water purifying services sand can provide. In addition, frac sand processing facilities are producing air and water pollution. To top it off, rural roadways are being inundated with an unprecedented amount of truck traffic that's dangerous, polluting, and harmful to the transportation infrastructure of small communities. Now the frac sand industry has its eyes on southeast Minnesota and has in recent years used intimidation, government lobbying, and in some cases outright misinformation to get a foothold in the region. But citizens are fighting back. With the help of the Land Stewardship Project, several communities have established moratoriums on frac sand mining and processing while they develop planning and zoning regulations. In addition, LSB members and others have been organizing at the state capitol where they are calling for strict regulations on frac sand activities, including an outright ban on the industry in southeast Minnesota's fragile karst region. The Frac Sand Citizen Summit brought together people to share strategy, learn from experts, and strengthen the movement to keep frac sand mining from destroying communities in southeast Minnesota and beyond. Featured speakers included citizens, local government experts, farmers, energy experts, and scientists, we're doing cutting-edge research on the effects of silica sand exposure. This podcast is the fifth in a series of programs featuring excerpts of presentations from the summit. In this installment, John Link Stein, Commissioner of the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, talks about recently passed rules related to frac sand mining and processing activities and the role his agency and others play in regulating the industry. I want to talk today about the legislation that passed in response to the pressure from communities in southeastern Minnesota. The, the 2013 uh, silica sand legislation that passed has some key components. One is on technical assistance to local units of government. The second area is in revised and, and uh, reformed environmental review standards. And the third area is in rulemaking. So this is the, these are the three agent, four agencies that have sort of a primary role in, in managing the silica sand uh, implementation, the legislation implementation. The first is our agency, PCA. The second is DNR, and, and just so you, you kind of get the purpose and mission of each of these agencies, I've written it up there so you can read it. The Department of Health, which I mentioned earlier, uh, and then the Minnesota Department of Transportation. In addition to those four agencies, the Environmental Quality Board in Minnesota is made up of nine state agencies and five citizen members. The citizen members are appointed by the governor, and uh, the Environmental Quality Board's mission is to administer the law for environmental review requirements in Minnesota. Again, that's, a, that's an added layer of protection that, that projects uh, 
are reviewed for uh, impacts, for the potential environmental impacts. You may have been reading recently about the environmental impact statement that's coming forward on the large copper nickel mining uh, proposal in northeastern Minnesota, the polymet uh, proposal. That is a <clears throat> poster child for the work of the Environmental Quality Board. Nine agencies working together with five citizen members to address environmental impact issues. Another way of looking at the 2013 legislation is to see this graphic of responsibilities. There were four specific charges in the law, several of, uh, to four different entities, the DNR, the EQB, PCA, and the Department of Health. Several of them landed at the EQB's lap, uh, creating the rules, amending the rules for silica sand projects and environmental review, creating an ordinance library, providing technical assistance to local units of government, and the one we're currently working on, which is model standards and criteria uh, for local governments addressing silica sand projects. And I'm also uh, very grateful for folks in this room that have volunteered for, this, for the rulemaking advisory committee. I'll talk about that a little earlier. I see Vince over there. Uh, good to see you, Vince, and, and others I know probably in the room have, who have stepped forward to donate their time on behalf of your communities to give the state agencies advice on our rulemaking efforts. So it's a multi-agency effort, and this advisory committee, which I just mentioned, has five local government representatives, five citizen representatives, and five industry representatives. Uh, silica sand mining, I'll give you a little overview of that in a second, where it is occurring in the state, but it is a large uh, industrial movement. It has uh, been going on. Certain parts of silica sand mining have been going on in Minnesota for over 70 years. Uh, there are obviously new areas of concern with uh, expanded operational proposals in this part of the state. Just quickly going through what some of the agencies have been working on. Uh, the DNR has got a new trout stream uh, setback permit. If you propose a silica sand mining project within one mile of a designated trout stream, you must uh, conduct a geolog hydrogeologic evaluation and uh, the DNR has put these permit requirements in place and they're now operational. They have not had a single application yet. The Environmental Quality Board is working on model standards and criteria for local units of government. The technical assistance teams are being formed and the technical assistance teams are really uh, the scientists and engineers that I talked about from the state agencies that will be available to a local unit of government to support the local unit of government's request for assistance, meaning uh, how do we monitor the air effectively? How do we gather data on groundwater or on uh, surface water impacts? How do we prepare ordinance language, etc.? Those are the sorts of things that technical assistance teams in the law were uh, given to do. The EQB is also working on this ordinance library, which is currently online. And then we're, uh, the EQB will be considering the thresholds for environmental review. I think earlier I heard about the EIS that was ordered by the EQB for the 11 projects uh, proposed by Minnesota Sands and, and various uh, ownerships and, and companies that were subsidiary to Minnesota Sands. Uh, those 11 sites across southeastern Minnesota, that project is currently waiting for a response from the company. Uh, so they have not moved forward in completing any environmental review at this point. Uh, and we are just considering it there. Uh, the ball is in the court of the company to put forward their information, their proposal for an EIS. So those 11 sites uh, under, under state uh, law would be considered on hold until they fulfill the requirement to complete an EIS. There's not been a lawsuit filed by the company, by the way. There's not been any 
uh, further action taken other than a few conversations and letters that have exchanged hands between the state agencies through EQB and uh, Minnesota Sands. The environmental review thresholds for stockpiles and processing, there, there wasn't a standard in the current regulations or in the law. This was included in the legislation so that we would have a, a starting point for discussion of stockpiling and transloading facilities. Prior to that, there had been no uh, actual requirement for a uh, environmental assessment worksheet or environmental impact statement. This is a temporary threshold that was put in place 20 acres or more at a, or a, mean, at a mean depth of 10 feet. That's for, for mining activities and then for storage and transloading the 7,500 tons of storage or 200,000 tons annual throughput. Uh, and the RGU means the responsible governmental unit. Who has to do the environmental review? So in the case of a mining project, the threshold was lowered to 20 acres or more, and that's still the local government's responsibility. Uh, and for transloading, the PCA is the responsible authority for doing environmental review. The Minnesota Department of Health has already done their work under the law. They've adopted a, a health-based value for respirable crystal and silica. Uh, that's been put in place. It is three micrograms per cubic meter. Uh, there's technical supporting documentation at this website. There is uh, limited toxicity data and studies available on, uh, on, on crystalline silica, but the health department relied heavily on the state of California's work uh, in setting their, their health-based value. I will also tell you that the, the Department of Health does not view uh, health-based standards as a one-and-done kind of activity. They tend to constantly be reviewing the data uh, they update their information frequently uh, and will look for new information as it becomes available. The Minnesota DOT has been supporting uh, EQB's efforts. Uh, they've been monitoring roads. Obviously, the, the DOT's comments are fairly well limited to state highways and county state aid funded roads. They do not often advise on local roads and local road impacts. So this is one of the areas where local units of government uh, and their expertise through county engineers is, uh, is very important to be involved. PCA's role under the law is to develop our rules for particulate emissions. Uh, we put out a notice of intent last July to, to adopt those rules. It'll take us about another four to six months to determine the scope of that and also then another six months to draft the rule. So it will take about a total of two years to complete the rule, that means somewhere in mid-2015 we'll have a rule uh, that will apply to all regulated facilities uh, for air emissions. We've been doing some monitoring at the PCA at some of these permitted facilities. This is a graph of our air monitoring uh, results uh, for a Great Plains sand operation in Jordan. Uh, I, will, I will tell you, those of you who have studied this carefully already know this, but for those who haven't, I want to just let you know there's very different approaches to the style of mining between the Minnesota River Valley and western Wisconsin and southeastern Minnesota. I would say in the Minnesota River Valley, they're, they're mining uh, sandstone that's in the adjacent to the glacial valley. So they would be mining in the bedrock that's generally below grade uh, of the surrounding landscape and is typically in a very deep glacial valley. Uh, the mining in western Wisconsin happens out on the knobs and the bluffs and I think uh, this gentleman who spoke earlier, Mr. Christie, described it very well. Uh, sort of the taking away the hill uh, is the more more of the, the the approach that they've gone to. The the difference in the Minnesota Valley, if you've not been over there 
to see these mining operations. They tend to be more below grade uh, and in incised uh, glacial valleys. So they're, they're a very different uh, geologic formation. They have different hydrogeologic issues, and they have different air sort of meteorologic and climatological conditions around them than you have where you have bluffs and hills. This is a graph just showing what we found. The, the, three, the number three up there is the health department's benchmark for respirable crystalline silica. The monitoring that we've had adjacent to this facility in, in Jordan Sands, the only uh, one spike that came there in September of 2012 was around two uh, uh, micrograms per cubic meter. They've got a very uh, rigorous dust control system, uh, keep their, their operation completely wet, and they have a very um, good uh, monitoring system in place too. And so what you're seeing is very, uh, they're, not, they're not getting close to that respirable uh, standard, but they're, we continue to monitor that, that site to gather more information. The common regulatory concerns we hear about uh, silica sand mining at the PCA is air quality and water quality. And we, we understand those are, need careful attention. I'll, I'll describe a little bit more in detail what we do about that. Air quality concerns on crystalline silica is, is limited, as, as you may have read or know, four microns or smaller. That's described in uh, shorthand by as particulate matter of four microns or uh, in diameter or smaller. That's why it's called PM4. Uh, we have more uh, experience and data in the state of Minnesota and nationally at PM10, uh, 10 microns and smaller, PM2.5. 2.5 is the very fine particles that are common around diesel emissions and industrial operations, traffic, and so forth. You get much more common exposure to those. There is a chronic health-based value for crystalline silica, as I mentioned earlier, uh, and we are doing what we can through our permits to ex uh, limit exposure uh, with standards of operation and monitoring at regulated facilities. The water quality concerns, one is uh, the quantity of groundwater that's needed and used, that's a DNR permit. We know that there are concerns when you remove or reduce the cover over the top of an, a water-bearing aquifer uh, because that layer of material has benefit for water that infiltrates through the soil and migrates uh, to the water table to trap and, and uh, bind various contaminants. There are chemicals that are used in mining operations that are concerned. Certainly there's fuel and oils and lubricants because of the heavy equipment. There are explosives and processing chemicals, and for example, the flocculants that are used to precipitate out the fine matter in water, uh, and those flocculants can contain uh, hazardous materials. The, uh, there's concern over contaminated runoff coming uh, into the mine and discharges from surface waters from the mines. We know that there have been failures of uh, stormwater holding facilities in some of the mines built in Wisconsin, and we're trying to learn as much as we can on that, and I'll have a little more to say about that later. There are some illegal waste disposals in mines that hap have happened in the past, uh, areas that are used for disposal of materials that uh, don't belong in that area and can, and can cause harm to aquifers. And then there can be improper uh, reclamation and land use. It's, it's one of the big debates on reclamation is, obviously it's impossible to, to reconstruct soil uh, in a productive way. Um, you can, uh, you know, part of my part of my training is in soil science, and you can you can reconstruct a soil profile, but you can't reconstruct the soil. It's just not uh, it's just not possible. The natural world does that. 
over time through various processes, and, and you, can't, you can't replicate it. So you can restore soil profiles, and you can make it useful for something, but it won't be the same. Uh, water quality uh, permitting, uh, we, we deal with these two acronyms, NPDES and SDS. Those are National Pollutant Elimination Discharge System and State Discharge System. So one is the NPDES is, a, is the federal permit that we're delegated by EPA to issue, and the SDS permits are the ones that the legislature authorizes us to issue. We regulate pollutant discharges to surface waters and groundwater, and there are limits on how stormwater is managed, washing discharges, how monitoring uh, is occurring, and, and so forth. And we also include pollution prevention requirements in our permits, so that you're not just allowed to pollute up to the standard. I mean, this is the standard argument that people have made to the agency over the years. A standard is not something you pollute up to. A standard is something you never come close to meeting. You should stay far below the standard if you actually want to protect and enhance the environment. Part of our permit requirement that we're emphasizing louder and louder all the time on our air permits and on our water permits is the prevention requirements. Don't cause the problem, and, and we won't be here to find a, something to worry about in your monitoring data. And I just want to close this morning with a few reflections. Things I call it things I used to know. I used to know that a 100-year flood was the biggest flood I'd ever seen in my lifetime. I've seen about 12 of them. I used to know that a 100-year 24-inch rainfall meant 6 inches of rain over a 24-hour period. I've seen three in my yard in the last three years. I used to know that when we assessed and dealt with a Superfund site and we declared it to be clean, we thought we were done. And we're back revisiting three of those sites because of soil vapor issues in the Twin Cities. So I only say this because we think we know things. <laughs> we think things are settled. But the reality is, as I get older and I look back on my career, I realize that things are generally evolving and our understanding should work to do the same. So your work as citizens, as scientists, and as advocates is very important because I have about 900 people in my agency to cover all of the state of Minnesota. It's not enough to do the job well, to gather enough information, and to express concerns. So I appreciate your, your dedicated time and efforts to help us understanding the world around us, evolving our knowledge, and developing better systems to protect and improve the environment and enhance human health. For more information on the Citizens Frack Sand Summit, see www.landstewardshipproject.org and follow the Organizing for Change links to the report from the Citizens Frack Sand Summit page. There you will find a PDF copy of Commissioner Stein's Silica Sand in Minnesota, Balancing Human, Environmental, and Economic Health presentation. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.